All right, good morning. Good to see everybody on this cold, cold morning. Hey, would you pray with me before we get rolling on this? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm excited about bringing this message this, this morning because um, it's because of the freedom and the joy that we can experience if we catch the message from today. Lord, your word says that you promise to give us spiritual wisdom and insight and understanding. And so I'm praying, Lord, that you would do that for each of us this morning as we hear from Jesus um, in what he's trying to get across to us. And so we give this time to you as an act of worship. We're thankful for all you've given us in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 36. I'm going to finish out the chapter as we work through the gospel of Luke over the next several weeks. And uh, it's at page 1029 if you're using the Bible there in the seats. Um, And as you do that, let me just kind of set the stage for you, kind of let you know where we're going, and then we're going to go where we we will be, and then we are going to talk about where we were. Um, And that's this. First of all, there's, there's this house. All right, it's the, it's the home of a wealthy Pharisee, a religious leader of Israel. In these homes, where the, the wealthy people's homes, they typically had a courtyard. And the house was kind of built around the courtyard. And in the courtyard, on the nicer days, they'd actually eat in that area. It's customary to invite a visiting teacher into their home. A Pharisee would uh, invite another Pharisee, another teacher, into his home. And then they would have guests, and there would be a banquet, and they'd all be sitting around this table. Uh, But they would also allow the people from town to come in and kind of fill in the rest of the area. Now, those people weren't allowed to eat, but they could hear the conversation and and any of the, you know, wise and profundity, you know, that's uh, being expressed around around the table there. The welcome. So it was customary that if you had a guest come into your home, that you would do some specific things. Um, If you know anything about the first century, uh, they didn't take hours every day like we do. Right? Every day, please. Anyways, so they didn't do that. They, They bathed when they could and that kind of stuff, but they walked around in sandals on dirty roads where the animals would run. And so you can imagine what their feet must have smelled like, not to mention the body odor itself. And so when you came to a home, a host or the servant would pour cold water on a person's feet. Kind of wash that off, kind of soothe the person's feet. And then the host or the servant would put a fragrant oil on the person. That way it would cover any, hopefully, any body odor that was going on. And then they would take uh, the, the guests and just kind of give it a little quick peck on each cheek. That's customary. I get it that we don't do that here. Don't try to do that on me. I, I mean, not to be mean or anything. I can go in for a bro hug, you know, but please don't try to kiss me on the cheek. Um, so once that happens, then they would have the meal. And so there'd be a, a center table, and around the center table, especially in a wealthy home, they have these really deep couches, padded, um, basically, you know, stretched out where they would be sitting, and they would typically lay on their side. They would have their elbow, left elbow down, because this was the hands used for things. And so you'd hold here, 
and then eat out behind you, and you would eat food with your right hand. So that was customary to do that. The motivation. Why does this Pharisee invite Jesus into his home? This is not a friendly meal between peers. Because Jesus' presence as a sinner, which the Pharisees we already know, having gone through as far as we've gone through Luke, that the Pharisees see Jesus as a sinner. In other words, Jesus being in Simon's house, that's the name of the Pharisee, to be in his house would make Simon unclean before God. This is what they would teach. And his home would be unclean before God. So why is this going on? Well, the Pharisee was looking for a way to take Jesus down. We know from chapter 6 that the Pharisees were ticked. They were very upset because of what Jesus was doing. And he was getting the people to follow him. And he was supposedly blaspheming God. And he was doing things, healing on the Sabbath day. And doing all these things, breaking the law, as they would say. And so they're looking for a way to take him down. But this Pharisee was, was requesting, and that, that actually means to continue to ask over and over and over and over and over and over and over. My mom used to call it pestering. And so this guy was pestering Jesus, and Jesus had just said in the previous chapter, we're supposed to love our enemies, and so he knows the Pharisee is not his friend. He knows that they're enemies of his, but he still goes into his home. A woman's going to show up. As she shows up, she spends time only at Jesus' feet, washing his feet with her tears, putting perfume, kissing his feet. The Pharisee calls her a sinner. She's well known in town as being a sinner. And uh, first, a sinner is anybody who's not following Judaism. Okay, we'll find out here in a second. Jesus said that she had many sins. We'll read that. She's most likely a prostitute. When the, word, when the Bible calls a woman a sinner or a known sinner, it's typically talking about somebody who is a prostitute. And from how this reads, uh, I'm not going to, you know, this isn't a hill to die on, but from what, how this reads, it seems like Jesus has maybe previously forgiven her, but now she finds out, again, where Jesus, you know, he had crowds around him all the time, right? And so now she finds out, hey, I can get to Jesus in this guy's house, and so now she's going to show her gratitude. Again, it just seems how it reads, and uh, you'll see as we go along. Now, the caution. Don't be distracted from what Jesus is trying to teach us today by what this lady is doing. I get it. This is very unusual. We don't see this happening in our society. In fact, even in that society, you didn't see it happening a whole lot. There's a lot, you know, she was a prostitute and then she's doing these things to Jesus. And so the, you can start going, oh, wow, this is kind of sick and kind of. And so you're going to get distracted. But don't get distracted. Stay focused on what Jesus is trying to teach us. Different cultures express joy, sorrow, and grief in different ways. The Middle Eastern culture is very expressive. If you watched any kind of news, when something bad happens over in the Middle East, people are not just crying, they are wailing. People aren't just angry, they are shouting. I mean, they're very expressive. It's just their culture. I, I grew up in a, in a Norwegian culture. My, my parents were both Norwegian, and we're very cold people. We're not very huggy people. We don't say, I love you very much. And when fists, or when flesh met flesh, it was fists. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. But this happened at least three times in the Gospels. Now, some people go, wait, I thought, I thought it only happened one time. I thought this was the same thing. No. It actually happened three different times. 
Luke 7, you go back please. Luke 7, what we're looking at here, this was in Capernaum. Matthew 26 and Mark 14 talk about the same thing, and that's an unknown uh, woman, doesn't give her name, happened in Bethany two days before, or two weeks before, or two days before the Passover. And then John 12 talks about Mary, who is Martha's sister, uh, which was a week before the Passover. She did something very similar. So there's three different times that this has happened. All right, so you got all that? You're all set? Now with that kind of in your mind, thinking about it, let's read through uh, some of these verses. So now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, Jesus, and this is an imperfect tense, so this is asking over and over and over, again, pestering Jesus, to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman uh, in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial, this is an example of that, uh, full of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping. Now, all these things that she's doing, if you kind of got to get it in your mind here, all these things that she's doing is in the imperfect tense, which means it's happening uh, intensely and continually. This isn't just somebody doing... <laughs> okay, this is big time. So she began to weep, you know, wailing, crying out. This house or courtyard is full of people. And she's not just going, ah. I mean, she is wailing. She is crying. She is disrupting the entire meal. And she began to wet. That word means to bring rain. So she was raining tears on Jesus' feet. Not just a couple little, keep, keep. it was just pouring out like rain on his, on his feet. Go to the next one. And he kept, or she kept wiping them, uh, wiping them with the hair of her head and anointing them with perfume. So again, if you can, just think about if you were sitting in that room and you saw that happening, how strange this would be, how, well, really, you know, inappropriate for this. Well, we're trying to have a meal here. We're trying to have a banquet and people are trying to hear what's going on and they're seeing this happening. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so he's thinking this, he's not saying it out loud, and this is what we call a second-class conditional sentence, Meaning, if this man were a prophet, which obviously he's not, okay, so uh, Simon doesn't think Jesus is a prophet. Next. He would know who and what sort of person this woman is and who is touching him. Again, from his perspective, now Jesus, who's already unclean, is still unclean. But if he was a prophet, he would want to be clean and he wouldn't want this woman touching him and that she is a sinner. Again, more than just not following Judaism, uh, this woman is most likely a prostitute. So I want to do something a little bit different here. I, I literally want to walk through the questions that are going to be asked here. Now, this question actually comes out of the statement or the thought that Simon had about whether Jesus, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know who and what this woman was. So the question is, did Jesus know who this woman was and what she had done? And the answer would be, yes. Why? Because he's God. He's God. He knows all about this woman. He knows all about her childhood. She knows about all the decisions that she made or other people made that impacted her, all the consequences that caused her to go down the road to become a prostitute. She, he knows about all the men that she seduced over the years. He knows all about the men who willingly went to her, the families that were destroyed because of the decisions 
that were made that she participated in. He knew every single sinful thought, action, or inaction she ever had. He knew it all. But here's the deal. He knew Simon's sin. He knew everything about Simon. He knew about Simon's childhood. He knew about Simon's choices and other choices that were made for him that caused him to become a Pharisee. He knew every time that he taught, that Simon taught, and he taught the Old Testament incorrectly. Jesus knew about it. Jesus knew about every single thought, every single choice that he ever made that was sinful. And here's the deal. He also knows everything about you and about me. About our childhood. About the decisions that we've made and other people have made for us or against us or caused us to be who we are and where we're at today. He knows every thought we've ever made. He's, he knows every sin we've ever committed, whether it was an action of, sin, of action doing something or not doing something that we should have done. He knows everything about the woman. He knows everything about Simon. And he knows everything about you and me. And so to that question that Simon thought, Jesus says, hey, can I, can I tell you a story? Can I tell you a parable? And here's how it goes. And Jesus answered him, again, his thought. So, if you, again, you've got to kind of picture this, right? He's sitting there, he's thinking this, and then Jesus turns to him, hey, can I, can I tell you a story? I have something to say to you, and he see, you probably say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both, so which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, so the, if he's sitting here eating, the woman is back here, Simon is probably at the head of the table. And so turning to the woman, he says to Simon, all right, so he's looking at her, but he's saying to Simon, do you see this woman? I have entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon didn't even do the customary thing of welcoming a guest into his home. He just said, yeah, Jesus, you're going to lay here. Which he did and ate with dirty feet and smelly body. and You gave me no kiss. But since she... But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, Jesus wants him to know, hey, I know who she is. And yes, her sins, humanly speaking, there's a bunch of them, have been forgiven. This is where I say, I, I, I just kind of feel like maybe he's had a previous conversation that we don't know about where he has forgiven her, so you have been forgiven. I could, again, I'm not going to fight over it, but for she loved much. She, she realized how much she's been forgiven, and so she loved Jesus because Jesus, she knew, was God and had forgiven her. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. 
Then he said to her, confirming to her, turning to his feet, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, they were thinking, who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith, the faith that you have that I have forgiven your sins has saved you. Go in peace. And so there's several questions in this passage that we want to work through. The first one is the one Jesus asked Simon after telling the parable, and it's this, which debtor loved the moneylender more? And the answer would be the one who is forgiven more, right? In fact, he got that right. The Pharisee had the right answer. So we get the point of this, right? So we got a moneylender. The moneylender in this parable is God. And then they have two people who have sinned. One has the amount of like 500 denarii worth of sin. And another one has, you know, 50 denarii worth of sin. See, what Jesus, I think, is starting to get us to do here is start to think through how humans, how people view sin. We have a tendency to weigh our sin. And so some people say, I am a 500 denarii sinner. I have really messed up. I'm the worst of all sinners. I am a bad, bad person. Others would be like, well, no, I'm more of a 50 denarii person. I'm not so bad. So the more a person has sinned, the more they will love God when they understand that God has forgiven them. So Simon got the right answer, but but did he get the point of the parable? So this is what I was wrestling with this week as I was going through this. I don't think he got the point of the parable. I don't think Simon probably sees himself as even in this parable. Yeah, maybe other people in the room, but not him. And since Jesus' main point seems to be this parable, I think we need to unwrap this parable a little bit more, get a little bit deeper. Because again, I think what Jesus' purpose here is trying, not just for, for Simon's sake, if it's even catching his, but for those in the room and for us today, is for us to evaluate our attitude toward our sin so that we then can express our thankfulness, our gratitude to God for his forgiveness. So first of all, who you choose to identify with in this parable shows your attitude towards sin. Back, back to the 50 denarii. If you're a 50 denarii person, you're saying, well, yeah, I know I've sinned, I've sinned, but I'm not as bad as other people. I haven't done a whole lot of bad stuff. Some bad stuff, but man, you look at some other people, whoa, I'm not as bad as those people. And then there's a the 500 denarii person. They're the ones going, man, I am just, I am a gravy-sucking pig, and I just, I am just a bad person, and look at all the bad things I've ever thought and done, and I am certainly not like the 50 denarii person. I am a mess. And so from a human perspective, this makes sense, and Simon got the answer correct. The more I've sinned, or the less that I sin, would make me appreciate my forgiveness more or less. The woman knew her sin was great. Again, she also knew what her childhood was like. She also knew 
the decisions that she made and other people made that caused her to go into prostitution. She knew every man she ever slept with. She knew all the sins that she's ever committed. She knew she was a 500 denarii debtor. Why wouldn't Simon think that he was even in this parable? Here's why. Pharisees didn't see themselves as sinners. Because they've taken God's law and they had twisted it so much to their advantage, he thought that he and God were good to go. He had done all of his religious rituals. He was all up to date on his religious calendar and on the religious responsibilities and he did all the correct washings and he, he did all the correct prayers and he, he did all the good stuff, all the religious rituals, the good deeds, so that he was good to go with God. If there was a sinner in that room, it was certainly the woman and Jesus. In fact, Jesus was such a sinner to him, like I said, he didn't even have his feet washed. Jesus didn't even get a little bit of oil to take away some of the sweat smell. He didn't get a, a kiss. Because if he did that, Simon would be unclean. See, self-righteousness makes it very easy to judge everybody else, including God. The question is, whose attitude is right? Well, is ours, the human's perspective that we've been talking about, or Simon's? And here's the answer. Neither. Neither of these perspectives are actually right. Yeah, Jesus might have been talking about the human perspective, but it doesn't mean that the human perspective is correct. Only God's attitude towards our sin matters. And here's what he says about our sin. Coming out of James. For whoever keeps the whole law, so all that God commands, and yet stumbles in one point, he disobeys just one thing that God says don't do. God says don't tell a white lie. And a person tells a white lie just once. He has become guilty of all, of the entire set of commands that God gives us. For he who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Those are number six and number seven of the Ten Commandments. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So if you do one, just one of them, of just the Ten Commandments, you ever gone through the Ten Commandments? and said, have I worshipped something other than God? Well, most of us just stop right there and say, yeah, I've broken one of the Ten Commandments. So to disobey one of God's commands is to disobey all of His commands. There's no weighting of sin. One sin isn't as bad as another. One sin is as bad as all of them. There's no waiting. Someone hasn't sinned more than somebody else in God's eyes. But then Jesus goes even deeper with this. In Matthew chapter 5, this, this is the Sermon on the Mount last, uh, on, in two weeks ago. Jason was in Luke 6, which was Luke's take of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew's. It says, You have heard that the ancients were told meaning the people in the Old Testament, Moses and Israel, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. 
but I. Now, when Jesus says I, he's the one who wrote the Ten Commandments, right? We've got to constantly remind ourselves this is God speaking. And so he's the Word, too. So he, he wrote these. But I say to you that everyone who is angry, everyone who has this heart-level emotion of anger with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. To say you're good, you good for nothing, that's the three stooges. That's not bad to say. Well, evidently, it is. And whoever says you fool or you moron or you idiot shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And Jesus continues. You've heard it. It was said, you shall not commit adultery. It's commandment number seven. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now just hang on a second. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. Or a woman lusting after a man or a man lusting after a man, or a woman lusting after a woman. This isn't just a man lusting after a woman. It's any time that we have a lustful thought about anybody, whatever your persuasion is. It's sin. Right? If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for you or for your whole body to be thrown into hell for what you've thought. Disobeying in our hearts, our thoughts, make us guilty before God. Not just guilty, but deserving hell. When it comes to our, our guilt before God, it's not the amount that counts, it's the thought that counts. We love that phrase, don't you? I use it all the time when it comes to somebody's birthday. I thought about getting you this, and hey, after all, it's a thought that counts, and I'm supposed to get some benefit from that, which nobody ever seems to appreciate it, but whatever. But when it comes to us, it is the thought that counts. God's looking beyond our actions to our heart, what's driving us, what's motivating us. And just for clarification, because every time I talk about this, I get these questions, and so I want to rattle off four quick answers to people's questions that I'm probably going to hear. Yes, acting out of a, a sin, so having a thought of anger and then punching somebody, that punch has greater consequences than just thinking about punching somebody. But God is looking at the heart, in judging that. I mean, he'll judge the rest of it too, but he starts with the heart. Yes, men who lust after women, that is sinful. Men, we are not to do that. We are to allow God to renew our minds so we don't do that. But women, you too lust after men. Anytime that you look at a guy, read about a guy in a novel, see something on The Bachelorette, whatever it is, wherever you're getting an, an idea of the perfect man, and then you say, man, if my husband could just be like this perfect man over here, that's lusting. Just as bad as men. And now even for women, pornography is becoming a bigger thing for them, and we know it's always been an issue for guys. Thirdly, it's not just the LGBTQ people who are sinners. I had somebody on a, 
I, I throw stuff up on the community pages and invite people to church, and somebody asked the question, uh, do you think gays are sinners? And so I, I wanted to make sure I gave a good, solid answer, and so I, I started out with the fact that we believe God created this world and that God has set a standard for us to live by that gives us uh, an opportunity to live the best life possible, the, the most blessed life, or however I phrase that, it, it wasn't that Christianese, you know, the, the most fulfilling life possible. And that we believe everyone's a sinner. We, we don't make distinctions. Everyone's a sinner. Everybody needs God's forgiveness. She actually responded and she said, well, I figured you'd give me a convoluted, uh, I read it the way, I, she, may not have, she may have said it very nicely, but I read it as, I figured you'd give me a convoluted answer. So then I wrote back and just said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be convoluted in my answer. My point was that we're all sinners and we need God to forgive us. Lusting or having sex outside of a, a man and a woman married together is sin. And no, God doesn't allow you to divorce your spouse if your spouse is addicted to pornography or if your spouse is thinking about somebody else other than you. The Bible doesn't give you permission. You need to get into counseling if that's the case, but you don't need, you don't, you don't have the opportunity or privilege to divorce. So if God were to measure your sinful thinking and attitudes or my sinful thinking and attitudes, how large would that amount be? Now, listen carefully. Because now I'm getting to the point that I'm praying that God gives us understanding over. If, if God were to measure, only He could measure because it would be an infinite amount of sin. Whether you think you've committed a bunch of sin more than anybody else, or you think you haven't committed much sin, God's saying, no, you have committed an infinite amount of sin. Why? Because He is infinite. We sin against an infinite, holy, righteous God. And so therefore, our sin is infinite. We are infinite debtors. We cannot repay that in any way, shape, or form. And it's no wonder this woman was responding as expressively and as passionately and intently and gratefully as she was because she understood there's no way in the world I could ever do anything to get rid of my past and the, decision, the decisions I've made, the sins that I've made. And so let me ask you the question that Jesus asked Simon. Do you see this woman... I mean, do you really see her? And by that I mean, do you see her response to being forgiven? Notice where her focus is. Knowing all the stuff that she has done, where's her focus? On Jesus. On the one who has forgiven her. She's not thinking about her sin. She's thinking about Jesus and, and being grateful and, and showing her appreciation. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven her sin. He will never use her sin against her ever again. He'll never bring it up to her again. Let me give you two verses, two simple, small, tiny verses that you could take and you could even memorize these. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far has he removed your transgressions, your sins from you. If you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he has taken your sins and he spread them as far as the east. Yeah, east is from the west. They never touch. Even on a globe, they never touch. It just keeps going. They're gone. The next one. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, cleanse you from all the wrong decisions you've ever made, all the wrong thoughts you've ever made, all the things you should have done and you didn't do. He's going to forgive. See, forgiving is not forgetting. Forgetting is choosing to not use that sin against you. When we forgive somebody else, we're not forgetting what they've done. We're just saying, no, I'm not going to use that against you. I'm not going to use it as a weapon. God doesn't use our sin as a weapon against us once he's forgiven us. We don't use it as a, an excuse to retaliate. God doesn't use it as a re, an excuse to retaliate. So God doesn't hold our sin against us because Jesus already took God's wrath. He already took God's judgment, his, our punishment for our sin. And so if Jesus took our judgment, and then he says, I forgive you, I'm not going to bring it up anymore, then we shouldn't be bringing it up either. But we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle. We constantly think about what we've done and how bad it is, and I can't believe I ever did that, and oh, I did it again. Listen, the, the weight and realization of sin and it being forgiven by God motivated this woman to passionately express her gratitude to Jesus. We forget that. We dwell over here. And even though that sin is gone, we keep bringing it up. It's not God who's bringing it up. Maybe the devil's bringing it up and we're probably bringing it up and other people are probably bringing it up. And then we just let it, we sit here and we just let it crush us. We let it suck the life out of us. So do you see the woman? Do you see what she did? Then do what she did. Every time you have the temptation to bring up what you've done, if you've already asked God, if you're in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and you've already asked Him to forgive you of your sin, anytime it comes up, don't focus on it. Train yourself to get at Jesus' feet and to thank Jesus for what he's done for you. Thank him for, for removing that sin, for forgiving that sin. Anytime anybody else brings it up, even to their face, you can say, I know. And so did Jesus, and he died on the cross for my sin. What a great testimony. What a great way to throw it back in someone's face. You're throwing truth. Yeah, I know. I'm terrible, but God forgave me through my faith in Jesus Christ. As you do that, over time you'll train yourself. And the Bible talks about in Romans 12, renewing our minds, that God will renew our minds. If we, if we obey Him and do this, over time He'll renew our minds. And so our sin no longer becomes something that is crushing us. Our sin is something we hold up and we go, yeah, this was my life before Jesus. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. But then there was Jesus. And now look at my life. 
Not perfect, but because of Jesus and what he's done, this is all forgiven. And now he can actually use it for me to identify with other people and I can have, bring God's gospel to them. The last question that was asked, it was actually by those sitting around and they were thinking this, and the question was, who is this man who forgives sins? So who is it? Who is Jesus? Same answer as the first question we asked. He's God. He's God, and he died for you, and he died for me. Look at what Jesus says at the end of Luke, Luke 24, after he rose from the dead. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, speaking of himself, would suffer and rise again from the dead uh, the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so Jesus suffered and died on the cross for our sin. He took God's wrath, the wrath that we should have taken when we die and spend eternity in hell, he took. And he can do that because he's a perfect man and he's God. He's infinitely powerful. And then he did that in order to secure God's forgiveness for us. If we would just ask, if we just place our faith, our trust, on him. So as we close this morning, just our takeaways. The first one is, have you received God's forgiveness? Have you, have you come to a point in your life where you realize, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. I actually, I've sinned against God. I realize that. I'm not saying you think you're a 50 denarii person or a 500 denarii person. You're getting it that you're an infinite sinner, just like the rest of us are. You're no better or gooder than me. And I'm no better or gooder than you. We are the same level. We are all infinitely sinful before God. So Jesus said, your faith in him will save you. Faith in what? Faith that he took God's wrath on your behalf. He took your hell on your, on, for you so you wouldn't have to. And then you just tell him you believe that. You're trusting that. You're hanging on to that. And ask him to forgive your sins. This is not the prayer. I'm always trying to figure out ways to help people understand what I'm talking about here, what the Bible's talking about. Because there's a point in time decision that you have that understanding and you make that decision. I'm not talking about the time you prayed to God to help you get you out of some sort of consequence that you were involved. Oh, no, I'm going into the, you know, uh, into the principal's office. You know, God, help me get out of the principal's office. Or, Lord, if I get out of this situation, I'll always serve you. And then all of a sudden you get out of the situation. Or you have some health scare. And so, you, God, please heal me. And then the next thing you know, you, you know you're, you're doing okay. And so you're like, yeah, well, Pastor, I think. No, no, no. I'm not talking about those prayers where you're asking God to do something to heal you or to fix your situation. I'm talking about the prayer that you have where you say, God, I am a sinner. I, am, I deserve hell. And I need your help. I, I can't do this. I'm a debtor. I can't repay. And then you understand, Jesus paid the debt. And you turn to him. And you can do that right here, right now. Your heart to God's heart. If you do, I'd love to know that. Sometimes I lead people in prayer. Sometimes I don't. Today I'm not going to. But you don't need me to do that. Just your heart to God's heart. And at that moment, God will forgive you of your sins. He'll place God the Holy Spirit in your life. The Bible says he'll adopt you into his family. you become a child of God. He'll take you through the rest of this life and into heaven when you die. 
The second takeaway is for those of us who have made that decision. When your sin is brought up by you, a family member, uh, an enemy, anybody who brings it up, will you instead express your gratitude to Jesus for his forgiveness? Will you make that commitment today to be like this woman to no longer let that sin weigh on you and completely crush you, but to go to look to Jesus and say, God, thank you so much for your forgiveness. Thank you so much for Jesus, for what he was willing to do. Once you're forgiven, Jesus won't bring it up again. He won't use it against you. He doesn't beat you over the head with it. And then live in the peace that Jesus offers to you. He told the woman, go in peace. Why? Because her sins had been forgiven. And we can go into this life, the rest of our life, with peace, knowing that Jesus has forgiven us of our sin. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for, for this passage. What, a, what an awesome truth. Lord, I know that there are people in our church whose sin keeps coming up. Lord, I know in my own life I have that happening. Stuff from years ago at times come up and try to trip me up. Lord, help us to remember this. Holy Spirit, give us the reminder. As that's, that's your job. That's what the Bible tells us, that you will remind us. So remind us and help us to Empower us to turn to Jesus and to express our gratitude. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, hasn't experienced your forgiveness and entered into that relationship, Lord, I pray that you would just convict them of that and help them understand their need to do that, that they would do that. And then your word also says that your Holy Spirit confirms with that person that they're a child of God and that you would do that. Lord, thanks again for this morning for each one that's here. Bless each one as they go. Lord, help us to represent you well as we go in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great week and go in peace.